Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and it's great to have you here with me today. These are interesting and exciting times that we're living in. And I'm not just talking about the last two years, but the changes that are happening with consumer and employee expectations, lifestyle, technology, and how people want to live their lives today impacts on every area of what we do as hairdressing professionals. And in the hair and beauty business, I find that exciting as I see salon owners reinventing their businesses and questioning what is the salon of the future? What role do salons have in the community today? And most importantly, where are the opportunities? On today's podcast, we're talking to Benjamin Jay, co-owner of the Hair Loft Salons and With Love Collective in Chicago. And in today's podcast, we'll discuss the changing role of the hair salon in the community and creating a salon that also serves as an event space, a bar, a retail environment, and a salon, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Ben. Hey, Anthony, it's uh, great to be back. You know, uh, we did one episode quite a while ago, and a lot yeah. has changed, but... Uh, I've continued to listen to the podcast and love that I still get to come back and be included in, in everybody else that's been a guest. So it's awesome. Well, it's a hundred episodes since you were on this. <laughs> uh, you were, you were number, you were number 30 and this should be originally, this should be number 130. So it's two years ago, almost to the day. It wow. was, uh, it was the very beginning of March where we, where we last spoke, March twenty. 2020. So here we are now. Um, this should be going out like March 2022. So yeah, lots gone, lots gone on in lots of ways since then. Um, what, what a two-year gap for me to to miss being on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Also, just a simple two years for all of us business owners. Yeah, exactly. So how's the salons been going? Because two years, the last two years good. have been hell in a lot of ways, haven't they? But you've been good. Salons have been good. They've been good. Yeah. You know, um, lots of problem solving that yeah. I'm sure that everybody's had to go through to to some extent, but um, we've, we've managed to get through it and grow in certain areas and it's been great. Good. As great okay. as it could be, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just start off by, I'll get, I'll get you to introduce yourself for anyone who didn't listen to episode 30 and who doesn't know who Benjamin Jay is. Uh, just give us a sort of very brief um, summary of who you are, the salons, a little bit about your background, you know, just uh, two minutes or so. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm Ben. Um, I'm in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, I'm a second generation hairstylist and salon owner. Uh, my parents are still in our business. We have grown over these 42 years to have two locations. Um, I did some education for a national brand here in the US for a while and started my own salon company or salon education company for a little bit and gave that a run. Uh, but now mainly focused on on the salons and growing our teams and growing our, our services and locations. So Cool. Okay. 
All right. Well, I, as you know, I wanted to talk to you again because I, well, actually, it sort of came to a head when I saw a reel that you'd done because I know we'd spoken on Clubhouse and stuff a couple of times and I was aware that the business was evolving and you've never been one to, you know, sort of stand still and you're always looking for a new direction to take the business in. And I saw this reel that you did very recently, I think it was on Instagram, and I just, I just stopped and looked at it. And it was like all these components that had come together. Um, I mean, I'm going to recommend that people go and check it out. But it, it was this voice at the beginning of the reel. I think it was your voice. I might be wrong there. But it basically was saying, you know, what is this place? And, and you know, is it a salon? Is it a bar? Is it, is it an event space? Is it, is it clothing? Is it hair? Is it retail? And it was a bit of everything. But here's the thing. It was done really well. And I see a lot of people try and do that sort of stuff. And it just looks like a mess. And the way you put all those different elements together, instantly I just thought you've nailed it. It looks really good. So that's what I wanted to, uh, uh, to talk about. And I know you're concerned about your dog. Do not be concerned yeah. about your dog. <laughs> I can I can hear him barking and seeing you looking around for him, but uh, uh, that's okay. He can come and he can come and join in on the podcast if he wants. So yeah. So so tell us about it. Tell us about what is this place? Where you know what's the direction that you're taking the business in? Absolutely. So uh, with Love Collective is the new brand that we established for our second location uh, at the end of June, early July. The whole purpose behind With Love, uh, externally, we could say, is to uh, support local creatives, small businesses, independent companies that we value and align with. Internally, it's a way for us to kind of diversify and change up what we offer in in hopes to kind of expand our our services and our, our product sales. You know, and so with that as sort of the guide, that is then what allows us to find different vendors, different manufacturers, um, craft our events, you know, who we're going to have come into the salon to do these sort of things. But it all comes back to having that sort of like local and hyper local focus first to drive that forward. Okay. So, you know, you had mentioned that we, um, we last spoke in March of 2020. At that location, we had gotten our liquor license here in Chicago, um, March 2019. Okay. Uh, no, sorry. I take that back. We got it in uh, March of 2020. So we literally had it for like three weeks before then we had to do our shutdown. Um, and one of the things that stuck out during our stay at home that year was that we couldn't open the salons, but the way that the city had adjusted the rules was I could still sell the alcohol that we had as at-home deliveries. And that was sort of a part of a spark that was like, huh, so my core business is shut down, but the sort of like small, very little ancillary piece I can keep doing. Um, and so that sort of just kept going into what else could we offer with this idea and bring to bring to our customers. So that's kind of a little bit of where it started. 
Cool. Okay. So, so, so let's just go back to that, that COVID element. I hate talking about COVID now. I've been talking about it for two years. I try, I, know. I try not to say it anymore, the word, but, it, you know, one thing or another, it creeps in. So you just alerted to something or alighted to something, whatever the term is, uh, alluded, alluded, that's the term. You alluded to something, yeah. and that was about the single income stream. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of the things that really hit home with salons is that when, you know, the lockdown started to happen, a lot of restaurants, for example, just sort of segued into doing a takeout model. So their businesses right. were fine. Um, well, I won't say they were fine, but they were still able to generate revenue, whereas a lot of salons, right. you either cut hair or you don't cut hair. And so I think that... What happened two years ago is all over the world that salons really were exposed for having a very narrow income stream. You were either open and seeing clients or you weren't. And so I know when you put the bar in, tell me if I'm wrong, you know, when you put the bar in originally, it wasn't really to be a bar, was it? It was more to be able to serve clients in the salon. Am I correct? That you you wanted an alcohol license so you could serve them? Yeah, it was initially intended as just part of the the overall salon experience. You know, you're getting your color done while it's developing. Yeah. Have a glass of wine or a beer or whatever and just, you know, complement the rest of what you were doing. Yeah. Uh, and I know that, you know, a lot of people go, yeah, yeah, I've got a bar in the salon as well, you know. But like everything you do, it's done really well. And, and, you know, the whole look of it. I remember when I first saw it, I just thought, wow, that's amazing. I'd love to sit there and have a – whether it was having a coffee – uh, yeah. or, or, or having a, a, I don't drink alcohol, but whether it was having a coffee or having a beer or a glass of wine or a mojito or whatever it is, it, right. it just looked like a great place to hang out. And I think that's, that is a lot of the sort of the key to this whole thing, isn't it? Um, so the bar became a bit of a financial lifeline to you in some degree, to some degree. Right during the first lockdown. And then on the back of that, you started to see other opportunities. So now you've blended in a lot of other retail. I mean, I was just on your website and I know you've now got quite a significant e-commerce platform and there's a lot of stuff where you're now selling things. So, so what sort of range of things have you, have you got on there? Uh, if I say a little bit of everything, I, I kind of do mean it, but um, so we do have some local fashion designers. So we've got apparel, um, mostly either women's or unisex, because coming from the salon, women are, are definitely the majority of our clientele. So we're starting off there. Um, we have some home decor. So uh, throws and blankets, uh, candle holders, candles, um, accessories, you know, either hair accessories or I'm thinking like stickers and pins. Um, so it is sort of a, a wide breadth of stuff that it all, again, is like tied back to that common theme of all of these people are small independents, just like us, you know? Yeah. And so there yeah. is this sort of commonality of uh, mom and pop shops trying to stay together in order to support each other. Yeah. Uh, who, who curates it? Who puts stuff together? Because like I said before, I see other salons do this and they make a bit of a mess of it. 
And there's a guy in London here who's got a salon who does this as well, and he does it really, really well. He doesn't do it all year through, but he does it for like two months of every year. And actually, most of the people whose products that he sell happen to be clients of his. But again, it's a very well-curated collection of stuff. And I think that that is part of the success to getting this right. Because if you get it wrong, I think it detracts from what you actually do, which is hair, and it starts to make you look desperate. But when you get it right, it is like that comment at the beginning of that reel, which is, what is this place? Said in a really exciting, interested way. Yeah. Um, I, I have been there too, you know, going into other salons as an educator, you get exposed to a lot of stuff. Yeah. And one of the things that you might see is, you know, a place that just has a rack of clothes thrown up in the front or some random hats and jewelry. And yeah, there is sort of a feeling like, Hey, if it's not top quality, it's kind of like, what is this stuff? Yeah. And then the other is like, as you alluded to, like, I thought that this was a salon why is this other stuff here? And so in terms of curating it and putting it all together, I definitely am willing to take the teams and our employees uh, suggestions. If they say, Oh, there's, you know, there's this creative woman. She has the shop over in this neighborhood. We should check her out um, and stuff that they find. But at the end of the day, like there's that feeling of like, if I don't think it's cool, I don't want to have it there. Yeah. You know? And so I guess the ultimate final say on anything does come down to me in terms of, I don't think that this connects with our clients. I don't Mm. think that this looks like our aesthetic. And if it's not as cool as it might be to others, it doesn't quite fit the brand. So, you know, but uh, picking and choosing and curating, I think is then also what makes it special and connect with people. So you don't want to just have an open door and just take anything just because you think, Oh, this has good margins on it. Let's, Let's try and sell that. Like, sure, yeah, that's not going to work well. So, so how do you? How does it work from a business perspective? Are, are you just taking stuff from them on consignment, or do you buy it off them at wholesale, or how does that work? Well, there's really there's three ways. Um, with some of the smaller stuff, we can definitely do it as wholesale. You know, uh-huh. because um, the the risk of not being able to sell it. Or, isn't too high, you know? So some of the smalls we do get at wholesale, some of the bigger fashion stuff we're doing on consignment and setting things up as like a pop-up shop so that um, we have it for two to six weeks. You know, there's a designer that we're working with right now. We have her, her items for six weeks and um, then we'll rotate out the display at the end of uh, at the end of March, early April and fill it with somebody else. And then my third goal in the future is to just have it as a, as a rental opportunity. Mm-hmm. So we'll be able to have more featured displays um, and find local designers that basically want to open almost like a store within a store concept at With Love Collective. And we can set it for monthly or bi-monthly or whatever, and they can be featured in there slightly more permanently. Okay. Um, I like I like the idea of that pop-up shop thing because if they're there as a pop-up shop, it's always changing. So every time I come and get my hair right. cut, every six or eight weeks, there's a different collection of stuff. 
which I think yes. is is what keeps it moving and keeps it interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, salons, for the most part, from a design perspective, they're kind of designed and then left for 10 years until the next redesign. Yeah. And I am almost obsessed with rolling, moving things around, trying to figure out, you know, how do we change it up? So literally like seasonally, you know, every, every four to six months mm. we're, we're even moving just like, where's the waiting space go? Where does this go? So that there's just a little bit of newness every time clients come to, to check us out. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's really clever, really interesting. We're also blessed with a lot of space. I mean, you've fortunately enough, we've had you there before. And you know, like we've got four thousand square feet, so we have the opportunity to do those sort of things. Yeah, yeah. Is that is actually part of the secret to making it work, isn't it? If you when you've yeah. got these small salons and they've got all sorts of crap that's, you know, excuse the French, you know, that, that they're trying to sell, whether it's, you know, hats and gloves and scarves and jewelry and God knows what, right. but they've got no space for it. There's uh, only so, so much room. Yeah, you, you've got to you've got to have that sort of generosity of space to make it work. You know, the the word that that you've mentioned a couple of times. I mean, again, I refer to them as buzzwords, but I know that they're more than just buzzwords. Uh, community is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've been to, to to both your salons, and they're in. Is, is that? It's not quite downtown Chicago, is it? But from from my perspective, it's you're in yeah. the you're in the city, but there's a lot of high rise apartments around you. And so I'm intrigued about that sort of sense of community uh, because I know that this space that you've got is as as well as it having a bar, as well as there being retail, that it's also an event space. Um, so how has that sort of worked in terms of tapping into the fact that there are, you know, thousands of people that, that live vertically um, very close to you, you know, above your space. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting, unusual space to go into. So, uh, and looking at your website, I saw one of the, one of the uh, uh, events that was on, there was a, um, a comedian. Uh, there was another one that was, is obviously music. So, so what sort of things have you had go through there and, and how has that sort of tapped into the wider community? So we uh, we have had some stand up comedy nights. Uh, we've also had music evenings. Um, we've done a pop up shop with actually one of our salon clients. She started her own sort of vintage finds business. So we had her uh, set up a shop there for a day. Um, we have a wine tasting coming up next month. So I mean, we can really do anything, like yeah. you know. Um, but that's some of the stuff that, that we've done so far. So uh, with, with the client that we had that started her business, that's, that's an opportunity for us to support those who have supported us, Yeah, you know? And so um, it's a nice little add on to our clients that are coming in for the day to, you know, get to have this different shopping experience with the music and the standup. We've worked with these companies that they handle the booking and the setting up and ticket sales for those type of events. So it's really kind of a hands-off approach for us. Um, and so, you know, when they, they're selling 50 tickets to those events, cause that's our capacity at the moment. Um, 
And so they're handling the talent side and the marketing side. And so then that is basically then bringing 50 new people to the business every time we do those sort of events. Mm. Um, and, you know, hopefully they come back as salon clients or hopefully they do a little bit of shopping while they're there. Although on a Saturday night, they're most likely not going to be leaving with stuff, mm. but then we have the bar. And so we can do all of our drink sales and snack sales to them for the event, you know? And so in terms of the, of the community, I think that we're still trying to get people to think of it as a salon and, which I think was part of the thing that caught your attention in that reel mm. is that, you know, we've had that location since 2015 and people know it as a hair salon. It's a hair salon. It's a hair salon. And so that was the whole point of rebranding the name. And now the objective is really trying to get people to think about coming for more than just their salon, salon visit. So I think that those type of events are definitely helping, helping that. Yeah. So, so tell me about the name. Uh, how, did you, how did you come up with that? So, yeah, trying to choose a name and, you know, going through a couple of different ideas and where to go. It was, it was very apparent early on that the thing that we wanted to be doing was supporting small businesses, local businesses, and that, you know, we were going to have a lot of different stuff in there. And ultimately, for any creative, it comes down to the passion that they put into what they're making that I think that we all in turn then fall in love with, mm -hmm. you know, the excitement, the enthusiasm and everything. And whether we're talking about stylists or candle makers or brewers or whatever, it's that passion. And it's, it's a little hokey to say like it's made with love. Um, so we try to put it in something that feels a little bit cooler than a Hallmark card, mm. but with love collective just kind of made sense. Yeah. And it came together pretty quickly. Um, and so then when we were able to uh, check out, you know, could we get the domain website for that? Could we get the Instagram handles for that? Like, that all then just, it just felt right. Yeah. Okay. And so it still operates as a salon as well. Definitely. Yep. All the time. Yeah. Okay. And, and what about Saturday? Right. And what about the other location? Is that still the same or has, have you, still have you started to integrate any of the other retail offerings into the other location? We haven't. Uh, that one, that location is still called the hair loft. Yeah. Um, and at that location, uh, in the salon side, we had a number of stylists that wanted to start offering extensions. And so they do that there. We don't do that at With Love. At Hairloft, we have a nail department and a massage therapist. We don't have that at With Love. So even just looking at it from the hair salon perspective, mm. like we had already sort of created two different experiences. And so it by having the two different brands, it, it is actually allowing us to let each one breathe, let each one be itself, be unique, um, market the things that make it individual and interesting. And so I think that the rebranding is actually helpful to both locations, even the one that didn't get rebranded. Mm -hmm. That you were talking about putting together a curated, slightly off the wall you know, retail offering for clients. But at the time, it was very much um, still focused on hair retail products. 
Okay, so one of the things that you mentioned earlier on is it's a, a family company. Your mum and dad started it, and it's 42 years old. And uh, so what I wanted to ask you about is, is how important was it for you uh, as the new generation um, who have taken over this business and you've always kept it current and evolving? Uh, how, how important was the evolution of the company for you and to turn it into something different that sort of felt like you? you know, that felt like a 30-year-old guy as opposed to your mum and dad's business. Not that it ever looked sure. like an old business. It's always looked right. on the edge and very current. Yeah, I mean, for family business, I think the thing that can also, often, uh, where you get stuck as the second generation is you come in and you have some ideas and then the the older generation or the parents, like, they just don't want to do that, you know? Let's not change. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. I can say that like to my parents' credit, like even when I first started, when I was, I want to say like 18, 19 was right around when social media and Facebook and Yelp and those sort of things started to grow. They were willing to embrace some new ideas, not all new ideas, but some new ideas. And they would let me run with them. Yeah. Fast forward to, you know, the last couple of years, I can definitely say on a, on like a more personal side, there there was a feeling of like, I want to create something new that's not a total change of what we're doing. I want to create something new that's built on what we're known for, what we're all about. So I would definitely say that there was definitely a, a personal or an emotional side to wanting to make something out of what we built for my, you know, for myself personally while paying respect to everything else that we've built in the past. Okay. That makes sense. Um, when you mentioned you know, it's social- not like we're stripping the salon out of it and like, we're not doing hair anymore. Like, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. it's still, the salon is still core to what we're doing. Cause that is still at the moment driving our foot traffic to this new concept. So yeah. um, it's still extremely important to, to the identity of the place. Right. Okay. You mentioned social media. Um, and, and you're very, uh, you're very good with social media. You're very good with the, you know, the filming, the editing, the music, there's a lot of thought that you put into your reels and all your posts there. Um, how important has that been in terms of, you know, bringing an audience to, um, uh, the business, you know, with love collective is definitely important. I think that the, the, the sort of the cycle of social media has changed a little bit depending on what you're wanting to do. Yeah. You know, 10 years ago, um, one of our stylists, Christian Gatan and myself, we were actually traveling the country teaching social media classes, which sounds crazy that that's kind of what we did 10 years ago, but that's what yeah. we were doing. And, um, you know, at the time it was like, the focus is how many followers can you get? Can you get 10,000, 15, 20,000, you know, and it was all about going, going, going. And um, now it's like, can you get a thousand that live, you know, within three blocks of where you live that are actually going to be your salon customers? Yeah. Because that's really your core business. And I think that sometimes people are still lost in the idea of like, if I don't have 10,000 followers, then, then, you know, why am I even doing this? But if you can get, you know, 500 dedicated customers following you that 
are, you know, hanging on every post that you're putting up, that's mm-hmm. way better. Yeah. Which is ironic because the original, original social media was really just trying to connect with like, you know, the 150 closest friends that you had, you know, that you actually went to school with or that you actually worked with. And so I really feel like socials come full circle in terms of what, what the actual network goal is. Um, but in terms of the importance for us, it, it is still definitely important. You know, it's while we're not necessarily paying for advertising, all of the work that's being put into creating content behind the chair or uh, for any of the, the companies and creators that we have coming into the collective, then, you know, there's only one place for us to put that stuff and that's out on social. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So with, with the, the salon clients that you had coming in there for a long time, and now all of a sudden, bit by bit, there's been these other changes to the business model. How have they reacted to it? I, you know, I, I can only think of one person that had a negative reaction where she said she didn't like the name. And I was like, you don't like the name with love? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds more like a you problem than an us problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, it has been good. I think that everybody has, has, like I said, just about everybody has liked the updates. Um, everybody's, oh my gosh, the logo is so fun. I like it, you know, and they like looking at all the creators. But what's been interesting is most of the people that have actually made purchases of the new things have actually been clients that have started coming to us since the name change. And I do think that if there's something that I could say I underestimated, it is sort of underestimating the first impression and the experience that people already have, you know? And so that's why sort of like, if we want to say the phase two of rolling out our brand change is really trying to emphasize the change in experience and the change in expectations. Cause like we want people to think about it as a salon and, and not just salon. Yeah. And so that's where, you know, the emphasis on re-educating people, you can mm. stop by if you just want to grab a drink, you can stop by if you're just shopping, you mm. can stop by if you just want to come to one of our events, you don't have to only come because you have a salon reservation on Saturday at four, like you're welcome to come before that and hang out. You can stay after that and hang out. Come on Wednesday evening if you want to come, you know, and so trying to get people to, to change the way that they think about it. It's tough, but mm. it'll just take time. Sure. And is it the same demographic or are you attracting a, a younger audience or, or a different audience? I mean, again, when we talk about social media and stuff and your salons yeah. are very established, but I know that it's not like it's an old person salon. You, you cater for a wide demographic as hairdressers. Yeah. Um, has the uh, the collective element of it where it's not just about hair, has that brought in a different demographic? Not really. I mean, our demographic age-wise is probably 25 to 40, 25 right. to 45, somewhere in that okay. range. You know, so um, usually a young professional um, in in that age range, you know. So I wouldn't say that most of that has changed with the new identity. Right. And is it financially successful for the business at the moment or is it too early to say? I think it's too early to say. Um, I don't think that it's losing anything because, you know, not wanting to be risk of, or trying to be risk adverse and not over invest in it. Um, so I don't think that there's been any downside so far. 
Right. Okay. Or hopefully there won't be at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I, I, I can't see, you know, why, why there would be. I mean, the salon industry is always changing. It's always evolving. Um, unfortunately, and I, I pause before I say unfortunately, is that, that maybe all the involvement is in the wrong direction. You know, that too much of it is just about going to micro salons. Um, you know, salon suites and independents, et cetera. And I fully accept that there is a market for that uh, at both the client level and the hairdresser level. But it is exciting to see a different business model um, at an, at a, you know, coming at it from another way, you know, bringing something different to the salon of the future. It's like it's, it's that big question. What does the salon of the future look like? How does the salon of the future fit into the community because if you look over a period of time that has certainly changed and evolved and i think it's really interesting you know what you're doing um in terms of the impact that it has on that bigger yeah, bigger way of looking at what is the role of the salon in today's community and uh uh yeah it's intriguing talk, talk to us to that you got anything to add to that well um Actually, like I, I briefly pulled up my notes in the last episode we had was de- talking about defending the traditional salon, you know. Um, so there was a lot in there about how do you defend like an employee based, decent sized salon. Yeah. But I think that one of the best ways to defend against that is do the things that a small salon cannot do. And so with our square footage with 12 employees with, you know, our history, there's so many things that we're able to provide that you can't, that you just simply can't do in a tiny space, whether it's, you know, a three person chair salon or, or, you know, a suite of some kind. So I think that that's, that that's definitely an aspect of, of what we're able to provide. I think that like many things, the industry is kind of seeing the middle get squeezed out where I think that some bigger salons, because they have the scale and more than likely the branding and the reputations, they're going to be able to continue to attract and hire and grow talent. And I think that the salons that are sort of in the middle that aren't big enough, that aren't able to provide education or, you know, retirement plans or, you know, whatever benefits that people might be looking for, Mm. that that's when, you can unfortunately have people go like, well, what do I need to be here? You know, if I, if I want to go, I I could just go and do a lot of this myself. Mm. And so, but you see that across everything, you know, you see it in in middle-class getting squeezed. You see it in uh, just anything that's in the middle, you know, movies, right. You either have big budget Marvel movies or you have tiny, tiny little independents. There aren't really like, a lot of movies made in the middle of the road anymore. Mm. And so I just think that it, that that concept is being pushed into our industry as well. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. How did your team react to it as you've started to, you know, evolve uh, what the salon or, or it's not really a salon, what the collective is all about. How's it, how's their reaction been to that? I think it's been, it's been great, you know, um, but I've been very focused on making sure that it doesn't 
that any of our changes don't negatively impact how they're able to provide their service. Mm. You know, so for instance, we have like a, a space where we do color, you know, like all the colors up on the wall. And we've got a couple of chairs there where people can apply right there. If I were to come in and say, okay, we're going to take down the color space. This is going to be a new shopping area. Then I could see them being like, what, where are we going to do color? Mm. And so being conscious of the fact that like, we're not going to negatively impact the space that people need to work. You know, we've got this area set up for a photo wall, you know, so people can create their hair content. If we were to take that down or mess with it so that we could put in another, you know, t-shirt display, then people might be like, okay, what, what's the focus here? How come, how come you don't care about the work that we're doing? But, you know, ultimately all of this stuff, you know, it's still intended to lead people back to the salon so that they can continue to come back to see us there too. So they all sort of work together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And from, from the online uh, presence uh, as a, as a, uh, as a retail vehicle um, for the, with love collective um, as has the online part of it grown bigger than the in shop uh, purchases or, or is it still like, what's the, what's the sort of split there? It's definitely still brick and mortar first, right? You know, um, we'll see like as we continue to grow that if that changes, but at the moment, it's still it's still in person purchases being number one. Okay, well, it looks really exciting, and uh, I, I can't wait to you know one day when we start traveling again uh, to come and have a look at it in the in in the flesh. I'm sure it will continue to evolve, and I actually think that that is part of the excitement and success of it is this idea of it being curated and this idea of it being like a, a pop-up um, environment. And, and it's all those elements working together, the, the collective, the, uh, you know, the sort of the shop local, the support local artists, um, you know, the small business, the independent, and, of course, the whole community thing you know that's sort of like what you were just saying a minute ago that on one hand we've all become very global in our thinking and then on the other hand we're all starting to look at and i think covid did this what's happening in our community more and i think the idea of supporting local communities and buying local etc uh, is definitely a, a a movement so uh I think, you're, I think you're really onto something there, and, and I, I love the way you've done it. That is the main thing. I think 10 people could do this, and nine of them would get it wrong. Um, and because just because of the balance. In fact, so sometimes it's even hard to put your finger on why have they got it wrong, you know? Is it right. the location? Is it the, the mix of product? Is it them? I don't know what it is, but sometimes you just look at it and go, you just go stick with your knitting. You're a hairdresser. Be a hairdresser. But yeah. the way you've put this stuff together it's very interesting, and I think you've done a great job of it. So um, I've alluded to Instagram a couple of times. Um, what, what is your Instagram handle? Whereabouts can people connect with you on Instagram or any other social channels um, yeah. and websites so that they can, they can have a look at what you're doing? Well, my, my personal Instagram is at B-N-J-M-N-J-Y. So Benjamin J without the vowels, um, you can find with love at 
withlove.collective. And our hair loft salon is at the hair loft LTD. So, so yeah, Instagram is, is still our, our main platform. So there's probably best. And then uh, we've got our website links on those pages too. So cool. Okay. Well, I will make sure I put those uh, links on our website, uh, grandmasalonbusiness.com and in the show notes for today's podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast with Ben and you've enjoyed it, then do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to Instagram stories. And uh, I highly recommend that you go and check out what he's doing because I think it's uh, it's very interesting to, to say the very least. So don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple podcast app. So um, to wrap up, uh, Benjamin J, thank you so much for being on today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast and for sharing so openly what you're doing. Because a lot of people like to sort of keep the things to themselves. And, uh, um, you know, when I saw what you're doing, I, th- I, I knew you'd be happy to talk about it. So any final words for our listeners before we wrap up? No, I mean, just coming from a family business, I've always loved trying to support other local creatives and, and family businesses, which is all part of this with love concept. So um, I appreciate being back and maybe before episode 230, uh, <laughs> we'll be back again. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, Ben. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.